All right, going to start the show now. Hello, and welcome to Wheel Nerds. I'm Basil. And I'm Frederick. We're going to be talking about motorbikes and stuff. It's going to be great, don't you think? Why is Chuck looking at us so funny? I don't know. It could be because we're talking to ourselves. Do you even need me to be here? No, you're entirely superfluous to the show now. That's great. I'm going to be playing video games. Let me know. You have fun out there now. I can't keep that up for that long. (laughs) No, no. You're committed now. Go with the whole show. Good heavens! <laughs> We've got an hour to go. Keep rolling. <laughs> it hurts. How does Billy West do it? <laughs> Boy, that was dumb. But this isn't dumb. <laughs> See my clever segue? Clever segue. Yeah. Nicely done. Peter sent us an article about how writing makes you uh, smarter. He clearly hasn't listened to the show very much. <laughs> Some Japanese researcher sponsored by Yamaha. Who hasn't listened to the show. Says our brains work harder when we ride. Okay, while we're riding, I could believe. <laughs> Afterwards, we we have to make up for it by being dumber, right? Well, he also says, interestingly enough, that being on a bike makes us much more attractive. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Riding a bike, it's been shown to uh, grease sexual gears and remove inhibitions. And maybe you should add some buckhorns on the bike, too. Oh, yeah, that'd be completely irresistible. I'd yeah. buy it. Go buy some buckhorns, round mm-hmm. eye. Yes, buckhorns. I can believe that, though, because I'm thinking a lot harder when I'm on the Ural. I'm thinking things like, what was that noise? Was that me? Is this throttle acting strangely? Is that is that vibration the road, or is my engine about to explode? I don't know. I have many of those same thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I can see that because I'm always a lot more paranoid when I'm on the bike. Yeah, you're kind of your your game face. Adrenaline's going, sort of. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just kind mm-hmm. of looking around. Yeah, I, I could buy your brains working faster when you're on it. I yeah, I guess maybe I feel like my situational awareness is better in other situations too. So who knows? And it's not the craziest thing I've ever heard. You're certainly much more attractive in your full suit and helmet with visor down. Chicks dig the onesie. With the visor down. Hey, kids. The black visor. Wait a minute. Yes. Oh, and that that scarf wrapped around the the tiny patch of real estate of neck you can see. Make sure you cover that, too. Then you're totally more attractive. What are you trying to say, Jack? Nothing. (laughs) Nobody likes you. (laughs) All right, now I'm all caught up. My brain's working again. Have you been riding a motorcycle? Yes, I have been riding a motorcycle. Really? Yes. And? What about it? Did it explode? No. So the noise wasn't the exploding noise. It was just the making a noise. There was no weird noises. I've put about 90 miles on the Buell since redoing the wiring and and putting it back together. Mm -hmm. Every morning I've walked out to it and I said, fuck you, you piece of shit. Uh And I got on it and I would ride and nothing would happen. Yeah, because you're close to home and there's help. (laughs) That that's never stopped it before. It could be trying to lure you away, but I think I think it's time for you to make a call. You got you got to make the hard choice. You can a decide not to trust it and dump it. You can b decide not to trust it and just ride the bastard into the ground until there is nothing left. This wasn't the decision question I was expecting from you. What was that? The, the decision question I was expecting. Death by fire or water? No, no. Do you put in the ad that it's broke or not? Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Runs good at this moment. I'm like, well, I've put 90 miles on it. It runs great. Problem resolved. (laughs) Come buy it. (laughs) Who wants it? (laughs) Just just take it. Just go. Just go. Shoo, shoo. No, no, go, go. Hurry, hurry. Free tire. No, no, I'll deliver. It's fine. I'll walk home. It's cool. (laughs) Well, the booze that's been making the rounds, though, is uh, our buddy Eric as a new master. A new friend. New friend. Well, it started last week when Eric Buell Racing and an Indian motorcycle company called Hero Mm -hmm. announced a technological partnership. Sure, okay. Apparently, Hero used to be partnered up with Honda. Yeah. And uh, gave them the boot. Now they're going to Eric for their engineering. I think Honda might have self-booted there, but... I've heard different stories. Yeah, Um, okay. I could believe it was one of those... It kind of depends on, you know, how much Buell runs in your blood, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because I've heard one version of us, you know, Buell beat out Honda to become the new partner for Mm -hmm. Hero. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, last week was this technological partnership that Buell Racing was going to do their engineering. Yeah. Which is cool. Over the weekend, I saw an article saying Hero announced that they wanted to buy a minority stake. Uh huh. So they're not owners, but they 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 want to they want their finger in the pie. Mm. They want to have some say. 
Yeah. Weirdly enough, there was this weird space-time continuum rip, mm -hmm. and I got a newspaper from two years from now. Okay. And it said uh, they were firing Eric <laughs> and going to concentrate on their core competencies. Tiny, tiny, interchangeable <laughs> Indian bikes. So if you haven't seen these Indian bikes, they're, they're, they're cool bikes, relatively speaking, but they all look exactly the same. Everything that Bajaj turns out and everything that Hero turns out looks basically the same. It's a little funny standard with a weird, like, bug-eye space yeah. nod nodule on the front, and that's like the generic Indian bike. Oh, and a sari guard down the side. Yeah, yeah, and pretty much any Indian guy you talk to, because I, I work with a few of them, mm -hmm. if you mention it, they're like, oh yeah, I got that bike. Yeah, because <laughs> everyone has that bike, which yeah. is actually an interesting thing about it because it, motorcycles in India, I mean, these are like fucking everywhere. I mean, right. these are like like common as dirt. And so, Hero has over 56% of the market yeah, which in is, India. Which is a shitload of bikes. So I, I've heard it expressed that they make more bikes in one day than Harley makes in a year. I can believe it. Yeah, I mean, everyone there is on two wheels. The one thing I do see, though, is that the, the market there is, I mean, okay, upscale in the Indian market is the Kawasaki Ninjas. Bajaj is uh, marketing the Kawasaki Ninjas in India. And the Ninja 650 is like the big, like, holy shit bike. You know, you get that and it's like, you know, you pointed Indian chicks and their clothes fly off. So, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, I think I've seen some Bollywood movies where that exact thing happens. Except they started singing them when they did it. It's really <laughs> strange. I don't get it at all. There's some cultural thing I don't get. I guess my point is I, I'm wondering about some of this Buell technology and how well it's going to downscale. I mean... Buell technology is cool, you know, the mass centralization, the oil, the swing arm, the gas in the frame and everything is cool, but it, it's, it comes with a price tag. I'm not sure if they're, if they're planning to just... Uh... Okay, he's not taking technology from Hero. Let me, no, let no, me not the, you have any ideas about that. I'm, I'm, not, well, I'm, I'm not sure if, if they're going to Eric for technology to build bikes to sell mm -hmm. or if they're just going to Eric to build bikes to race. Oh, interesting. So they stick with their core stuff and they maybe steal a couple things from Buell, who knows, yeah. that are cheap. It depends on if they're winning races. Hmm. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, if they lose, it's going to be like, we have Buell technology and we lose. <laughs> you know, the weird thing, though, is um, just a few years ago, like when Eric was doing the Buell home movies, mm. it, one of his core pillars was made in America, American craftsmanship, America this, America that. Mm. Look, I've got a giant hipster tattoo of the... American yeah, yeah. flag yep. and meet my new boss, Mahesh. And I don't know how much it's going to affect people. I mean, certainly... The sport it, bike crowd doesn't care because the sports bike crowd is loyal to Japan. They're already in Japan. Yeah. They don't give a shit. They don't care. Yeah, I don't know. It would be it would be interesting to see if some of those smaller Indian bikes make their way over here. Oh, and did they just get labeled Buell? Well, well I doubt they do that. But, I mean, think, think about that part of the market, the 250 part of the market, which is the mid to high segment in India. Yeah. It's the low segment here. They could probably sell quite a few of them because their competition, frankly, is the Ninja 250 and the CBR 250 and the TU, and that's about it now. Is there a big enough market for that bike in a, as a new bike? I don't know, to be perfectly honest with you. Because your average salesman is going to be like, you don't want that 250, get on over here. Right. I mean, okay, so if Hero stays strictly as a sort of financial backer, mm -hmm. I don't see any problems for Eric. I think it could work. If they, I don't know, if, it depends how, how much they loom in the, in the Buell race, in Buell scene. If they're smart, they won't. They'll just yeah. be, you know. They'll let him be a fancy face and he'll be like the woo, look, look, look. Right. And if Eric's smart, the next bike he produces is the AX, which will be an adventure model. Chop, chop. Eric. Preferably not for the price of the 1190. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the other thing. If he's got this this financial backing coming in, mm -hmm. then conceivably he doesn't have to sell a motorcycle for $45,000. Interesting point. He'll, Interesting point. He'll have ma mass manufacturing resources, mm -hmm. even if the bike's, I guess, going to be going back and Really, forth. really, really massive manufacturing resources. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That may be worth more than anything to him. Yeah, I'm... I, I'm Gotta imagine that's what he's thinking is, you know. Mm -hmm. Money. Giant factory. A factory. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I can see it working. Cheap labor. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, we have got an awesome set of guests. And actually, we're going to continue them into next week. This is going to be a two-parter because it's that long and that fun. We've got uh, Nancy Foote and Walt Footen of Street Masters Cornering School in California. Also, Walt's been involved with uh, a very classic movie, which we will talk about now. All right, we're on with Nancy Goodlooking Foot and Walt Fulton of the Street Masters Riding School. Hi, you guys. Hi. Hey, how you doing? We're doing great. We're not really street masters, though, I have to confess. We're sort of street 
okay at its street Jedi. No. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. We've got bathrobes. Okay. <laughs> well, that works. But you're talking to the guru, Walt. So, I mean, you, you guys may think you're beyond help, but Walt can usually find something good in, in, in all of us. <laughs> that, Even us. That would be a challenge. <laughs> So the Streetmaster School is a uh, on-track road school held at Willow Springs Raceway in Rosamond, California, and it's it sort of looks to be like a, an intermediate sort of school, like for experienced riders to get out there in a controlled environment and and hone skills. Is that what uh, is that what we're talking well, about? Well, actually, it's it's probably a little more than that, more involved. It's an advanced cornering workshop for people that already ride. You need a license. You need a motorcycle. It needs to be freeway legal. Wait, wait, wait. I need a motorcycle? Well, it would be a good place to start. I mean, Damn it. We're talking about two wheels here. And and this is not a learn how to ride class. Remember, it's an advanced cornering class for street riders. So this so, is where we go if we want to learn to shorten out down the uh, foot pads on our wing, huh? Well, actually, we, ha- we have a lot of gold wing riders that come out, and they do end up grinding off lots of chrome and uh, other other metal pieces on their motorcycle before the end of the day. So, and they have a really good time doing it, too. <laughs> what? Todd's giggling. <laughs> that just sounds fun. <laughs> well, you know, it, it really is. It is fun. And, and it is held on a, a closed course. I hesitate to say track, although that's what it really is. But it's such an ideal training facility and a learning facility for, for riders because it's got the steep uphills, steep downhills, increasing, decreasing radius turns. We put a center line down the middle of the road. And you end up with your personal mountain road for the day hmm. without the inconveniences of oncoming traffic. Yeah, and when we say uphill and downhill, the steepest hill is 11% grade. So that's wow. fairly steep. You'd notice that walking it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would notice a 1% grade. Well, if you lay well, off you the Twinkies. You guys live near the mountains. You should, you should uh, be used to that stuff. We look at them. Oh, they are pretty. I'm from a distance, I know. It's like I, 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 like, can... I like looking at snow from here. <laughs> All I got to do is look outside for that. We're, we're in beautiful, sunny Southern California, and normally we get to look at the mountains this time of year and see snow, but we've, we've been really uh, at a, a lacking for it. Uh, but well, then again, it, uh, we can ride, go out and ride in them, <laughs> so it's great. How long have you guys been running this school? Uh, it's well, been in business since uh, 2004. Walt and I have been running it together since 2008. Um, our former, his former partners moved to Oregon. And so I took over even though, uh, well, I had been involved with the school from, from the beginning anyway. So I actually, I was the one that actually found the track and said, you know, we got to do something with this. I had gone to a track day with Keith code and he was one of the designers of the horse thief mile that we do the class on. And I come back home from this wonderful little track day on this really tight little track and saying, wow, we need to do something with this because in talking with Keith, he's not going to use it for his superbike school. And that's kind of how it got started. Got some great minds together and got some people together to try it out. And it was a big hit. So we've we've been doing it since uh, 2004. That's pretty cool. What was the uh, inspiration for this kind of thing? Well, actually, that, it's my fault, I guess, because I, I have been doing, well, let me start over again and start from the very beginning. I've, I've been involved in motorcycles for a long time. I've been a racer. I've been involved in the industry. I've worked for manufacturers, uh, distributors, magazines. So I've done just a little bit of everything throughout the years. And one of the things I continue to do is, is track days. It's a very enjoyable time for me to get out and, and go fast and do it legally. <laughs> One thing I well I, I don't like tickets. I've gotten a couple of them in my day, and I, they're they're really expensive and and uh, hard on the, the you know the budget for the month. But in any case, I I noticed uh, underrepresentation of of women and, and new riders at track days. So I thought, well, let's let's put something together and see if we can uh, uh, come up with a class where we can get some interest in with new riders and 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 women riders so you're saying you started this class to pick up chicks well that's no that was the main no i actually well no because you already had me so uh that that wasn't really the case don't say that out loud when nancy's listening (laughs) Um, right wink nod nudge but that sort of evolved with conversations with a couple of friends of mine one of them fred rao who you may be acquainted with 
We've encountered um, him. Mm-hmm. And his lucky hat. Yeah, and his hat. That's right. And and he he said to me, well, at, over lunch, why new writers and women? Why not touring writers, Goldwing writers? And I thought, well, you know, whatever. I want to give back. I've ridden my whole life. I spent a lot of time on a street bike. I haven't owned a, a car or a four-wheel vehicle for, I don't know, 15 years now. And it's just, you know, motorcycling has been a part of my life since I was seven years old. So, And, and I just looked at this as an opportunity to, to give back and to do something that I really enjoy doing, and that's teaching. I've, I've been an MSF instructor and rider coach for a number of years. I don't do that anymore. Uh, and that's another story in and by itself. But point is, I enjoy, te- I found out I really enjoy teacher, teaching and being a, a mentor and and uh, helping riders improve their skills and, and abilities, both on and off-road. Well, when this opportunity presented itself, Fred Rao suggested that we work with Goldwing riders, and in fact, the chapter he belonged to was our, I guess you could call them our beta testers, our, our uh, first group we ever had out there uh, at the Horse Seat Mile, and, and uh, with the help of Bob Reichenberg, who was my partner at the time, we developed a curriculum that was uh, not only good for Goldwing riders, but anybody that's got two wheels. And we have um, since grown and and uh, been around since uh, you know for the last what since 2004. We we've had people on a three wheel Piaggio. We do uh, trikes occasionally, Goldwing sport bikes, cruisers, you name it. If they've scooters. got two wheels, they've been there or they will be there. Oh my God! Uh, yeah, long as like, three way like legal motorcycle. It it just it started out as one thing and has evolved to something else, and it's been a source of great pleasure, a lot of work, but great pleasure at the end of every each and every class. Have you had any urals out there? Urals? No, <laughs> no, not any urals, or actually, not even any any side hacks yet. Um, people have have asked. But it's been the trike riders that have been really eager to to join in, and we've been trying to kind of get into with working with people with spiders too. I mean, why not? Yeah, sure, they, yeah. They they have a great time out there on those twisty roads. We can help them out and be better riders. Just about anything along those lines, as long as it's freeway legal. And the main thing we ask on that is because we do our classroom about 15 miles away, and we get there. To the track on a on a freeway, so hence we, we need people to at least have a freeway legal vehicle. And we've we've had people come on their 250 ninjas and their you know all the way up to um, Triumph Rocket threes and you know just everything. And uh, we had a guy show up on a custom Harley that was on the tra- he showed up with it on the trailer. And I'm looking at this thing. And it's like really low to the ground. And I'm going, uh-oh, this thing has absolutely <laughs> no ground clearance. This is not going to work well on the road that he's going to be riding on mm-hmm. in our class. Well, he gets to the class and he has this, I don't what was it, honey? Was it the hydraulic or air or something? But <laughs> <laughs> Airbag suspension. And he was able to uh, pump it up and it's like, what? <laughs> Oh, oh, cool. <laughs> Joke's on you, instructors. Yeah, really. I was like, oh, shoot. Oh, I was relieved. It was Look, like, honey, Von Dutch. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, we, we've had a great time doing this, and we got two like minds that go the same direction, and we want want the same thing, and we've uh, we've just we've just had a real hoot at doing this. We have instructors that have been with us since we began in 2004. Well, yeah, uh, we, and have, we have... Great instructors who are, well, quite a few of them actually are either active motor cops or retired motor cops. One from Las Vegas, a couple of them from the Central Coast here in California. And, you know, it's really great having them on staff because, you know, people can pick their brains, too, about Mm. the... Getting out of tickets. Get out of a ticket. Exactly. And, and what... How much cleavage do I have to show for that? Exactly. Well, you know... Well, you could be going either way because one's a gal cop and one's a guy cop, and you know you never know. <laughs> well, not not only are they they police officers or retired officers, a couple of them are actually motor officer trainers, mm-hmm. so yeah. they teach cops to to be motor cops. Yeah, so oh, we're really cool. blessed to have have great people uh, working for us, and they're all good at chasing bikes going too fast. <laughs> exactly, uh, but they are too. Come back here. <laughs> Exactly. So, what would someone who's looking at your school and, and you know 
say they're looking at a track, they're doing a track day or track school at their local track, what's going to be the differences in, that you want them to be aware of? Well, there, there's going to be a lot of differences, actually. Um, one, uh, first and foremost, is, is speed. We, we have speed limits. We start off slow. We get up to a maximum speed of 45 miles an hour. But that said, you need to understand that what we're working on is a very narrow, short, and tight course. Mm. As opposed to something like, let's use Willow Springs as an example. Or how about, give me a, give me the name of a racetrack. Miller yeah. Motorsports Park. <laughs> well, sure, let's use that. It's, it's about six lanes wide, and it's about uh, as fast as you, as you can go. And it has no center line. So what we what we have to offer is something that is narrow and tight and short, has a center line, and approximates a real road. We have lanes that are a little wider than, than a 12-foot typical lane. Uh, the other thing is we have one instructor to every four students. We don't have a free-for-all. It isn't just a, a time to go out and run around mindlessly uh, experimenting with things you think might be right and not knowing what the real technique is to make it work. We, we work very diligently with some very basic technique. As an example, head turns. And that seems to be sort of the, the one nemesis mm. to a lot of people that they don't understand what a head turn is and what it gives them when they make it properly. Head we, turns, good, good visual skills. We work on smooth throttle and, and braking. We work on... It sounds really basic, but so many people don't use good techniques on those things. Sure. And it's a, it's a great opportunity to become a much smoother rider and a better rider. And, I, and a lot of people take it and afterwards find out that, wow, even though I had to slow down to go faster, after I leave the class, I find out I ride my favorite roads a whole lot faster because I'm a, I'm a better you're rider. Using the right, yeah, you're using the right technique. The, I think one of the other major differences is that we don't work with the typical outside, inside, outside path of travel, which is what you want to do on a racetrack, generally speaking, because you're interested in the fastest way around the racetrack, mm-hmm. the fastest way around the track, and that happens to be it, outside, inside, outside path of travel. We're, we're a lot different there. Then, too, again, I, I mentioned the, uh, the instructors, uh, the one-to-four ratio, and, uh, and we have about a 45-minute classroom, and we talk during the day about questions uh, the writers have, and we, and we work with them at every time we go out one-on-one. So we have a lot of, lot of instructors to the number of writers that we have out there, as opposed to a track day that may have a lot of writers and a few instructors. And they're out there because they get free track time. And, uh, they may or may not have the where for all or the ability to answer your questions about, well, I'm doing this, but I should be doing that. How do, how do I make this happen? They may not be able to um, vocalize that or, or verbalize that for somebody. Am I going to learn how to wheelie? Uh, well, I, that's another class. I can teach you that if you want. <laughs> that would be awesome. Walt Fulton yeah, teaching yeah. me how to wheelie. Walt, <laughs> but we all, you know, there, 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 are, there, have been, there have been students that I've worked with uh, in, in Street Masters that have wanted more. And we're working on a Street Masters 2 class right now to bring it out on a little larger track, a little faster track. Uh, we'll still have speed limits, but we'll, they'll be more appropriate for the real world. I mean, right now we're, we're limited with where we are because of, of the size and, and shape and, and dimensions of the track. But we have, I have had students I've worked with that want more and they want to come back and do other things. I, I take them out and I work with them at a track day. So within a track day framework, I actually work with them and, and go with them through, you know, cornering and, and throttle control and braking and everything else. The same thing that we, we do somewhat at, at Street Masters, but on a higher level. And, and you know, I think what uh, Walt never really sa- says, but I'll, I'll toot his horn for him, is that, you know, even though Street Masters, we don't go fast and we work on more sedate techniques, but, but really good techniques for good street riding, that I don't feel we get enough younger people because they look at us and they go, oh, they're a bunch of old fogies. Well, we're, Walt's not an old fogey. He may have a little snow on the roof there, but... I do have, my, I have all my hair still. Yeah, he still has all his hair. It's getting a little white, but 
you go out to a track day with him, and I guarantee you he will leave you in the dust. He can go out there and, and run with, with the fast guys without any trouble. I had some friends of mine ride with him once and didn't realize who he was or what his background was and say, Walt's fast. And I go, oh, yeah, he does okay for an old guy. And they go, no, Walt is fast. And I have to tell you another story, too, if we're going to tell stories. I love this one. Okay. And, and I, I embellish it just a little bit. But what was out at a, at a track day with a bunch of uh, some industry folks, and Roger Lee Hayden happened to be there. And what was out working on riding some ZX-6s, and he was out there screaming around the streets of Willow and just having a great old time. Roger Lee came in to another friend of mine that was running the whole thing, and he says, who is that old guy on that ZX-6? And my friend told him who he was. He goes, well, he's really getting it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, whoa, Roger Lee Hayden thinks you're getting it, hon. It's like, whoa, you're moving along there pretty good for an old guy. That goes <laughs> on your <there>. resume. What <laughs> should I say? That's very nice. That's very nice, yes. <laughs> That's a whole other story. <laughs> Another little joke, but uh, we won't go into that right now. <laughs> but, no, we're uh, more yeah, than happy you know, to sit here and, and listen he to do, uh, Nancy toot your horn all day. He enough, enough yeah. on those things. And, and it's like, you know, you may think you're too young, too hip, to this, to that. But, you know, if you don't come and get the basics first, you can't get the fast stuff later. You know. Well, you know what? That, that's a good point, Nancy, because... Let me point out that I, I, I have worked with, with people that are up-and-coming racers, and, and I have worked with people that are, are street riders that have been riding hundreds of thousands of miles. And you watch them reach a, a plateau, and mm. they're, they're just scratching their head going, what's wrong? I can't go any further than this. I've noticed I've had several of those in my own riding, and I have to yeah. take a class, teach a class, do something different to kind of break through it. Well. But you know what happens is that if you if you think back and you look back and you you try to actually evaluate what you're doing, you'll find that you've missed something very basic, and that's where it helps to have a coach, an instructor, somebody that knows what to look for, and they can point that out and say, you know what, your head turns a little weak here, or you're you're shutting off way too early here, or you're on the brakes too hard there, whatever the case may be, but you're missing something very basic. That, that you, you've forgotten about, you've overlooked, or you've not gotten in the first place. Todd, so did you realize you're not wearing pants? <laughs> <laughs> Oops, not again. <laughs> it's very basic, Todd. Down a little bit. And you don't shave your legs, all that wind, wind resistance. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they have Speedos for. <laughs> you know, we, t- we talked to somebody that's still, you're talking about that. We, talking, we, we saw somebody this weekend that's uh, doing a piece on... Um, uh, Raleigh Free, he probably shaved his legs to reduce that drag. <laughs> there you go. There's your pro tip, Todd. <laughs> Thanks. Start shaving. Right. This has been worth the cost of admission. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about the trip to Alaska. That I guess didn't. Yeah, the the old fogies. The old fogies went to Alaska trip. That that's what it was called, right? Actually, <laughs> I don't think so. But you know what? It, it was. I'll tell you what, it was a really cool thing. I mean, think about it for just a moment. You you had people from all walks of life. Uh, there are 15 of us total. We had a, a school psychologist. That in itself is kind of odd. But um, she was with us, and we had security officers, a, a, a guard. Riker's. Yeah, from Riker's prison. Yeah, yeah Riker's prison, yeah. Hardcore I was there. Na- Nancy was there. She's, she's a professional at, uh, at, at L.A. Unified. She... Um, She's in the not in the teaching business, but in the uh, administration. And it was a fundraiser for the the Susan Coleman Foundation for the breast cancer research, which um, which I research as much as I can. But <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. But, Nancy said she'll toot your horn for you later. Yeah, okay. I I'm, I keep waiting. Um, but in any case. Um, <laughs> People like that. He's telling me that he could do my mammogram for me, but I said, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling lumps. You know, there doesn't seem to be any association between the different from the people from these different walks of life, and yet they all came together for this fundraiser. And the 15 of us raised $35,000. That was a whole uh, rationale behind the trip. I kind of got bushwhacked into it. I, I had intended to go on a trip and take maybe half a dozen, 10 friends of mine 
on the same same motorcycles, same brand motorcycles up to Alaska. And, and my deal was to ride from Seattle up through Canada and into Alaska. Sure. And that was my adventure. That's what I'd wanted to do for a long time. And I uh, finally was getting close to doing it. And then we had this economic downturn and they cut salary at the office and that sort of put things on hold for a while. Well, I'm sitting at the uh, the Long Beach Motorcycle Show at the women's uh, women's area in the uh, in the show and listening to a presentation by Sue Slate, who is the perpetrator of this whole thing, uh, the Alaska trip. President yeah, it's all her fault. <laughs> women's Motorcyclist Foundation. Foreshadowing. And and they had, she had put together a, a, a trip and 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 she and Nancy colluded together and and the next thing I know. Sue says, and we have a great rider trainer with us sitting right in the front row, right there, Walt Fulton. He's going to be our trainer on this trip. And I'm going, what? (laughs) (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) And it was a surprise. Well, that ruined, of course, my trip with the guys. And and I actually wanted Nancy to go with us. And and she was concerned that she was going to ruin all the fun and take the excitement out of it for us. And I'm going, I was really this is a social ride and she's thinking oh no guys you know walking around naked at night drinking beer and and uh, whatever else they do so here i got roped into this and as it turned out it was a good thing and it was probably a tougher ride than i would have done myself we got um, all screwed up with the uh, the weather and and that's what made it so tough so uh, it was called the adventures for the cures and it definitely was an adventure. It was not an easy go. But part of the reason I mean, behind the trip and, and having it an adventure was that most of us that were not, quote, staff people like Walt, who's very experienced in all kinds of riding, including riding on the dirt, a lot of us are basically street riders. And we were required to go and take some dirt classes before we went on this trip and for us it was a skill building a a trip to challenge us and to to build our own self-esteem to to find that you know we could take on these challenges and really what really came out of it was for as tough as we had it and I, I tell you there were some very tough days particularly going up the Dempster Highway, which is a whole story in itself, that the purpose of our trip was to raise money for for breast cancer research and to say that our really... Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Did we lose her? I can't imagine she just quit talking. (laughs) (laughs) Just just a little aside, um, I've been trying trying to get her to... um, to wear a headset and and she wouldn't do it she didn't want to communicate she wanted to focus on the ride and so finally after years of trying i got a, a couple of senna bike to bike headsets mm-hmm. and i have to tell you we rode from uh southern california to salinas for the national tt we got started one one after one morning and she absolutely never shut up on the whole ride. <laughs> That's probably her now. Like I say, I can't imagine she's done talking, but she... Uh, she's like, I'm bored of these two, click. <laughs> yeah, no, I doubt that. She's, you know, actually, she's uh, listened to you before, and she thinks you're a hoot. And, uh, oh, oh, yay. I have to say, you're pretty interesting. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Good guarded comment. <laughs> you have a show, all right. You guys are interesting in the way those bugs are. Oh, no, no. I, I, you know, anytime you can sit out on motorcycles on any level, I think it's great. After reading up on you a little bit here, I see that you're an expert in crash investigation and reconstruction. And it, I'm wondering if there's like trends you see with with accidents or crashes. You know, it, it, what's what's the most common things that kind of stand out that, as dangers to to riders? Let me start by not being a politician, but but let me start from the beginning and say yes, I have been involved in crash investigation and reconstruction for let's see about thirty two years, thirty four years now, and uh, I I worked twenty eight years for an independent company that did all kinds of crash cases it, it involved bicycles motorcycles trucks buses cars off-road heavy 
uh, earth moving equipment, drilling rigs. If you could get hurt on it, we'd probably worked with it at one time or another. With the exception of aircraft, we haven't done anything along that line or boats, but, but anything vehicular that runs on the ground. Uh, Unicycles. Probably. Um, <laughs> not that I can remember, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. I was hoping for a really good unicycle story. Well, <laughs> You'll get I one eventually, Chuck. One. I can't. Have you, any of you ridden a unicycle? Not I, well. I tried, I tried once, and I can get a couple of pedals out of it, and that's about it. And I got so frustrated, I just gave up. But anyhow, uh, so yes. So I have been involved in that, that field of investigation. And oh, hey, we got Nancy back. And I really do prefer to call it crash investigation reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Simply because... Uh, it sounds cooler. Well, no. Uh, an accident is, is something that, you know... It's magic. It just happens. Any, yeah, it just <laughs> happens. It doesn't have any cause. It just occurs. When, in, in fact, if you, you start from a point of rest and work backwards several seconds, you, you can see that everything that does happen uh, is very predictable. Hmm. And it may be an accident for you, but it's not for somebody else. In other words... You may be riding along or driving along, minding your own business, doing the right thing, following the law, you know, being the, the model citizen on two or four wheels, and somebody just runs over the top of you. Well, it's nothing you did necessarily, but it's something somebody else did. On the other hand, if you start to look back and dissect this a little more, could you have avoided it if you had been a little more aware of your surroundings, uh, you know, your situational uh, awareness, been watching your mirrors more, not been thinking about the party you're going to later that afternoon or evening or, you know, one thing or another. Those those are unknowns right now, but somewhere along the line, even if a jet engine falls off of an airplane and crashes (laughs) to your house while you're sleeping in bed, it's an accident for you, but somebody didn't put that engine on right, or the metal failed and fatigued at the, just the right time. It's not an accident. It, it's a crash. So that, that's how I, I view those things. As far as some commonality, of course, we, we all know and have all heard, I hope, that uh, one of the major instances or, or issues that a motorcyclist faces is a vehicle, usually larger than, than they are, taking their, their right-of-way away from them, like at intersections, left-turning cars, cars coming out of driveways, and cross-traffic and things like that. What has shifted over the last few years from the last 30 has been the fact that in the state of California, Washington, Oregon, I believe, and, and other states that have twisty, windy roads, the number one cause of a, a crash is a solo rider all by themselves without any help from anybody else, riding off the road or across the center line into oncoming traffic. Traceable to a loose nut between the handlebars and the seat. Well, that's right. And, and, you know, (laughs) we've all seen it. And and there, uh, again, it it comes back to some basic technique and some or some lack of basic technique, if you will, of people not being able to accurately judge the corner. They get in a little too fast. They target fixate on the wrong thing. And they look where they're going, not where they want to go, and they run right off the road. You see it time and time again out here. I, I live out near the uh, the Ortega Highway, which is a snaky little section of road that's about 25 miles long that runs between Orange County and Riverside County. And at last count, it's, it's like one of the most dangerous two-lane roads in California, which just amazes me because it's such a, a bitchin' road. I mean, it's really neat. And uh, <laughs> people just don't ride it properly. I think one of the things about that is that one of the problems that that we're having more and more and more now is that so many roads are being straightened out. I'll give you an example. We were up at, what was it, McClure Pass in Colorado a few years ago, and we got stopped at a construction uh, zone. No, no, that that was on uh, Wolf Creek. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It was a windy, yeah. twisty road over one of the one of the passes, and and we got stopped by a flag person, and and Nancy and I just eased up to the front of the line and and stopped, and we we were talking to the flag person, and I said, "What are you doing, ruining my road?" She says, "Oh no, we're not ruining it. We're fixing it." I says, "No, you're ruining it. No, no, we're fixing it. We're straightening it out." I said, "My case, my point exactly. You're ruining the road." And so many of these roads that were twisty and windy at one time are now being widened and straightened, and and people just don't know how to ride on mountain roads. I don't know about you guys, but that's one of the reasons I ride motorcycles, because I love turning. I love leaning the motorcycle into corners. Riding down the freeway in a straight line is kind of boring to me. 
Motorcycles turn? Well, they Turns do out. if you, if you really? do it right. I'm telling you, come come visit us. Speaking of the Ortega in, in, in a twisty, windy road and not feeling comfortable riding those things, we had a, a student, a gal that came to our class a couple years ago, and she started off the day a little shaky, but by the end of the day, she was doing quite well. And she actually lives at a little town at the bottom of the Ortega Highway. And she told us later that going home, she planned her route so she'd find every twisty road on the way home, including coming back over the Ortega Highway on her way home. And she was so happy because she went over the Ortega, she says, I didn't even hold up any cars, she said. (laughs) It was like, well, our job is done. It's like, there you go. We we fixed you. And now she's just riding all over the place. She's having the best time. I, I can't think of many more things that, that, that bother me than seeing a group of motorcyclists or a solo motorcyclist holding up a line of 10 cars and two semis on a mountain road. I just, I don't understand that. What if it's they're pushing? Of, <laughs> big roll eye situations going, oh my God. Well, I, I didn't want to spill my beer. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking as a Russian bike owner, you know, sometimes you can't help it. <laughs> yes, if you're, if you're on a Ural, sometimes the 30 miles an hour is the best That's you can do. That's all she's got. <laughs> That's uphill. That's only uphill, though. That's true. That's Unless, true. I love the downhills. Unless there's a strong wind. And you got to give it all you got. We, gotta, uh, we go to the lookout roadhouse on the Ortega, and it's on an uphill side, and we're standing outside many Sunday mornings, and we hear this... <laughs> And sure enough, here comes this guy on this, I don't know what CC scooter he has, but it's not much. <laughs> and he's got a surfboard strapped to the side of it. <laughs> he's just going balls uh, to the walls. He's got that thing topped out, man. And, just, <laughs> and, he's, and, he's, and he's all tucked in. I mean, it's like he's racing it up the hill. But not going all that fast. <laughs> People are walking by him. <laughs> well, sometimes you got to get there, you know. <laughs> you want to go back to Alaska? Yeah, let, let's let's go back to the Alaska part. Okay. As I was saying, when when I kind of disappeared there, was it was really such a great trip for all of us to realize some of our potential as riders, because being street riders, riding on dirt roads has always been like. Oh no, I don't think so. I think oh God, it's dirt. It's, it's scary. dirt. Oh my God, dirt's tough, and you know, and I, I still have a little aversion to dirt because last time I rode on the dirt, I fell down, and broke my arm. But wait, 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 what? Wait, wait, back up. Well, we'll we'll get to that. That's the end <laughs> well, of the story. Didn't you the end of the blog? <laughs> if I go to the end of the blog, you'll see the re- the results of the the oh, last God. two days of the trip. But anyway. The 280 miles it took us to go up the Dempster Highway was all dirt. It was pretty much a nice day with a little bit of rain, keep the dust down. It was pretty nice, but then it got really, 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 really nasty. And we rode in snotty mud for 60 miles. Not six miles, 60 miles. It went on and on and on and on and on and on and on, and I thought it would never end. And unfortunately for one of our gals, she high-sided off her KLR 650 oh, wow. and ended up cracking her hip in a few places. and had a Fractured change. her pelvis in three places. Yeah, yeah exactly. So she laid in the mud for four hours waiting for the ambulance, and then she waited another 45 minutes for the helicopter to show up out of Dawson City. And they helicoptered back to Dawson City, got her on a plane, and took her back to Anchorage. So that was really the toughest thing that happened. Was that her first time off-road? Oh, no. She was actually one of our more experienced riders. Oh, wow. Hmm. She rode a lot of dirt roads. She Well, she lives in Omaha, Nebraska, but they do have dirt roads there. And I, I thought that was all they had. Do they even have roads? Could be. Could be. That is, it is corn country. But they're all straight. <laughs> Yeah, and and not that this was a twisty, windy road, but the mud was just snotty. They're all straight, and there's that one intersection in the middle of the state. That's uh-huh. it. Well, you know, I've gone across Nebraska in a car on Highway on Interstate 80. Oh. And, I, and we're going along, and I told my friend that was driving with me, I says, hold on, hold on. And I turned the wheel just a little bit. I'm going, here's the corner we have right here in the middle of Nebraska. Hold on. Oh, okay, we're done. <laughs> yeah, that's how Nebraska is. 
But anyway, she really was one that had spent more time, and actually at home had a, a dual sport type bike that she rode in the dirt often with her husband. So I think she was maybe a little overconfident. She was on a on a 650, whereas someone like me who was not as experienced on the dirt, I was on a 250, KLX 250, which was really a sweet little bike to, to take on a trip like that. So she got into some hellacious tank slappers, Oof. and finally one just took her out, and mm. man, it was really, really hard. Now, saying that we had 250s on our trip, anyone thinking about traveling around Alaska really need to consider taking a bike with a bigger gas tank. Well, you need, you, need a, you need a mothership. Yeah, unless you have a mothership like we did. We had good old Jethro, which was our, our chase truck that Brendan was driving. Jethro was birthed out of a gathering of the folks from MotorQuest. They got together, had a whole bunch of beers, and the owner of MotorQuest, Phil Freeman, says to everybody, now, if you had the chance to build your own truck, what would you do? So they all kind of said, well, I do this and I do that. Well, he wrote it all down, and next year they had Jethro. It was yeah, it's like, kind of like, kind of like uh, Johnny Cash, you know? You know that song he sings about? <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, that's that's kind of what it was. Yeah. I'm picturing but, but something any, out anyway, of Max. Yeah, but anyway, the uh, yeah the KLXs uh, and the two 200s, 250s would only go about 90 to 100 miles before they ran out of fuel. The KLR that I was on, the 650, I got from uh, Eagle Plains, which is up near the Arctic Circle, back to Dawson City without fuel. So that's pretty good. But even on the highways, the towns are so far and few between that even 100 miles isn't uh, a big enough tank to get between some of the, the stops from going from one place to the next. So, yeah, you really have to really consider size of fuel tanks or have a provision for carrying an extra gallon or two of fuel, which isn't always a great thing to do, but, you know, you do what you got to do. But the 250 was great on the on the dirt stuff. It was uh, it was a fun little bike. and Right up until what? Yeah. <laughs> right up until uh, I hit a nasty bit of peanut butter-type mud. On my way home from Denali National Park with three other gals. And the road was pretty good until we got to this one spot where the road crew had been working on it throughout the day and pulling the, the muddy stuff up uh, off the side of the road and put it on the road. Because <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, well, it made a whole job, lot Job sense. security, come on. Yeah. The next day they'd go out and scrape it off. Okay, yeah, yeah, I like it. (laughs) But I was coming up and couldn't negotiate my way into a proper rut to find my way through this crap. And um, the little KLX, being as light as it is, it just kind of stopped real quick. And I fell off and promptly broke my humerus, my upper arm. And it wasn't funny, I have to tell you. <laughs> but I'm fine. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was actually. Well, you know, I was yeah. I was out in the back country riding, doing some really off road riding, and when I found out that she had busted her arm, I, I raced down to the uh, where she was, which was about forty five minutes away from uh, where we were staying. I laid and, in the mud. Uh, Hours. Yeah, she laid in the mud for two hours, and, and I, just as I got, the ambulance had just gotten there when I did. Did that help your skin? Well, How would you feel after that? Was it good? You know, was it I nice? Ma- I managed to get off of my face and lay on my back, so at least I didn't have to breathe all that mud in my, you know, but it was getting kind of cold, and, and it was so, damp. So the first thing I said to her was, say, you ever think about taking up knitting? Oh, I need two two arms for that. How long did it take for her to start talking to you again? (laughs) Well, as soon as the drugs kicked in, she was great. So drugs are your friend. Oh, drugs were my friend. It was uh, it was hell getting into the into the ambulance. They put a uh, air splint on my arm to stabilize it, and luckily there was enough people there to lift me up, get me in the ambulance. I've encountered those, and those only immobilize it some. Yeah, there was two guys, two people in the back of the ambulance with me, and I uh, right now I can't come up with their names. But one was an older lady; she was marvelous. But she was working the drug thing. That's why I, th- well, of course I think she's marvelous because she was <laughs> the drug thing. You know, the other guy was holding my arm, and he was continually keeping the the air splint thing deflated or inflated or whatever it is that he was doing with it. Walt was in the front seat chatting with the driver. So I was laying in the mud for two hours, 
loaded me up, and then it was a three-hour drive oh, to, to no. Fairbanks. We went to Fairbanks. Three hours. It's a great view from the front seat. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's not so great from the back. Now, tell them about the really cool electronic stuff he, the guy had in the front of the ambulance. Oh, yeah, he had infrared. So you could see animals at night. Awesome. <laughs> and what? Hunt them? No, so he didn't hit them. Deer, sure, deer, that's, that's, that's what he told you. <laughs> well, that, that is what he told me. But, he made, he made but yeah, you don't want to hit those moose up there. There's a lot of moose. Todd's seen moose. Mm-hmm. They've chased him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not nice. They're not no, nice they're kind of mean. Anyway, they, all in all, with, with the exception of those two setbacks, it was a great trip. It was a great skills builder. It was a great confidence builder. And we had a group of, of, of people, uh, mostly ladies, that have done things that they never thought they could do. And and that right. was nice, plus raising the money for the, the breast cancer research. So. And- all, all in all, it was a was a win win situation. It, it was, and we didn't have any whiners, and everybody stepped up to the challenges and and just really put their all into it. And yeah, like like Cindy would say, "Okay, girls, we're in Alaska now. Put your big girl panties on." <laughs> so we'll pick up again next week with the remaining half of our interview with Nancy and Walt. Ooh, I can't wait! And we'll learn the deep dark secrets of what they do behind closed doors. What? I don't know. I was just going to go into this week's what if, but you know. Oh, okay. We better just jump into the what if then because that got weird. What if, and this comes from uh, Peter. He sent us a giant list of these. Yeah. <laughs> and this was, this was a good one because it sort of pertains to me. What if you want to explore off-road but you hate people, i.e. the buddy system often ends in glaring or occasionally bloodshed? Okay. So this, this is a distinct reality. I mean, maybe you smell bad or are a pain in the ass. Or frankly, maybe you're just slow off-road because let's be honest, there is a certain amount of ego sometimes in the off-road riders. Yeah, or maybe you, you've got a couple hours to kill and you just want to go off and explore. Yeah, or maybe, frankly, you just don't have any friends who ride off-road. That's also a possibility. I don't have any friends. No, you don't have any friends. <laughs> God, the truth hurts. <laughs> Do you need the hiding box, Chuck? <laughs> Did we bring that? <laughs> I think we left that outside this week. Uh, shame. All right. So you want to go off-road and explore, and things can possibly go wrong. Yes. Say, at the bottom of a gully. Yeah? In the dark! That doesn't sound entirely hypothetical. No. <laughs> Fortunately, or unfortunately, you'll have a cell phone with reception and a very, very understanding, and might I say, good-looking friend. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it, it wasn't so. dark when I called. <laughs> no, it was just getting dark. <laughs> but yeah, it, the cell phone, assuming you're somewhere you can get cell phone reception, is a good way to go. Other things that are a good idea if you're going by yourself is make sure someone knows where you're going. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I know it's trail, so you may not know exactly, but at least if they know, hey, he's in off of this road someplace. Yeah, what direction you went in. Yeah, what, what direction did he go? South. How long you expect to reasonably be gone? Yeah, when people should start freaking out. This, this is a lot like any kind of trip where you're going by yourself. Is make sure somebody knows when they should start worrying about you. Mm-hmm. Unless you have no friends, in which case they won't worry about you. Leave a note. There's no one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, You know what else? Uh, A couple other things. If your bike has uh, hazard lights, Mm -hmm. don't leave them on. (laughs) This doesn't sound hypothetical. They don't help. (laughs) And by the time you get around to turning them off, the bike won't help either. Ah, Yes, that is a bummer. You should take along like the normal stuff you would you would expect, you know, a tire yeah. patch kit, something to put air in the tires. Yep, take your basic preventative measures and yeah. you know, take it easy, be very cautious if you're, you know, when you're on the road. Yeah, cuz if you break a leg when you're by yourself, there is no one to help and shifting may not be fun or picking up a bike may not be possible. And as cool as it is to have a movie made after you because you had to cut off your own arm with a Swiss army knife, it's not a good time. Yeah. Make a plan. Make sure somebody knows the plan and bring some way to communicate and hope you have an understanding friend who will come and pick you up from the woods in the middle of the night with nothing but GPS coordinates to go by. Hey, at least I had GPS coordinates. That is a plus. Take a GPS so you can give your friend <laughs> GPS coordinates to come find you in the middle of bumblefuck nowhere. Hey, you know what you could take? One of those spot trackers. Yeah, that's one of the options you have, certainly. Then you can call for help and you got your GPS and everything's cool. Mm-hmm. And maybe a porno mag to amuse yourself while you wait for help. No. That got weird. 
<laughs> well, we already established that when the Buell died there, it became the new hot makeout spot for the kids in Heber. <laughs> well, it's not like I left the porno mag sprawled across it. Look, Sally, look. Look what they're doing. We could do that, too. Wait, you didn't leave the porno mag on top of it? That just showed up overnight? I mean, uh, Buell is for sale. <laughs> we <laughs> nothing, swore never no, to speak of that. Nothing horrible's ever been done on it. Shut up. <laughs> so I got a question. What's that? Well, what the hell is Icon doing? You mean in general or with the uh, the current weird set of their ads? <laughs> their, their current weird set of the ads in uh, in Motorcyclist. So they, they've got this this ad for this Elsinore boot and some other sort of fa- – now, in fairness, I will say, Icon has always been the, like, bleeding edge of motorcycle fashion, let's be honest. They're always the ones with the craziest graphics. And, you know, of the ten jackets they have with crazy-ass graphics, one of those will prove to be really popular and cool and go great. And the nine, they're just like – Fuck it, whatever. Right. So, sure. you know, they're, they're willing to take a risk on this kind of thing. And they've got this Elsinore boot ad, which, ooh, they're brown. I like it already. Um, <laughs> brown leather is the way to Todd's heart. <laughs> but they've got this dude who's clearly got kind of the hipstery thing. He's got the uh, the kind of custom-ish, factory custom Harley-looking thing, looks like. I think that's a Harley. I can't tell. I don't know. But that's the thing. Icon's market traditionally has been the sport bike guys. Yeah, but, you know, the young, hip folks aren't going that way. Look, hey. The new Harleys that are coming out. Harley's got okay. two markets they're going after like crazy right now. Mm-hmm. The first one, they've got the, the iron fat bone glide dark to appeal to the youth of today. And that's what everybody's trumpeting. They're like, it's the same Harley, but it's it's black and mechanical looking. So the kids love it. <laughs> or you've got, you know, your basic uh, FFDX, OMG, BBQ, WTF, whatever. It appeals to the youth of 50 years ago. They're not called youth. No, they were youth 50 years ago. Right, but they're not called youth. Okay. They're called senior citizens. Yeah, but, you know, they're spending money on bikes. So they I, are, I can... they are. Well, I mean, they are the ones who are spending money on Harley's bikes. I mean, Harley's market share with the youth, they have not really had mm-hmm. any traction there. Yep. Well, but on the other hand, they have been added traction from what they were with the Iron Fat Bones Glide Dark. Is that is that bike getting popular with those? I mean, is that is that what the kids of today are getting I, I don't think it's what a lot of the kids of today are doing because it's still hardly as goddamn expensive. Yeah, it's, yeah but, it's still hardly as goddamn expensive. But it is growing with that, you know, that, and come on, you're a 20-something, you've got some money, finally, you can buy something like a bike because you finally have a job and you're paying off a lot of loans. It's like, hey, okay, yeah, whatever. This one's kind of cool looking. You buy a Gixxer. Well, I, I I think that's still going on, but I think there may be a little a little push to this vintage thing. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, if you want something that's a little faux vintage, Harley's not that far off. It's not a long trip, you know? Okay, I could see that. I don't know. I think Icon's, Icon's making a play. They're going to see if they can cash in on it. And to their credit, Icon in the past has been really, really good at cashing in on the early edge of the fashion trends. Icon can sell their stuff. I mean, this mm-hmm. I could see you wearing this short sleeve leather jacket. Um, maybe not that. But I really <laughs> how, how about this adventure helmet? Okay, the adventure helmet's kind of cool. I like the one with the bikini girls next to it more, though. <laughs> but that is because I am a child. <laughs> but yeah, their adventure helmet does look pretty cool. Yeah, I, I kind of dig the look of their adventure helmet. Yeah, it's low-key. It's just like I'm a helmet and I have like a visor and shut up, whatever, my helmet. And they're doing this this thing now where they're not – they're doing like this not-painted look mm-hmm. where you can sort of see the, the – fiber weeb of the helmet mm-hmm. I, I thought that was pretty cool yeah it's pretty rad I could spring for one of those I've got a helmet fetish once again they're trying out different stuff and seeing what takes and cranking out some more of the things that take I, I just have a hard time looking at this ad with the <laughs> yeah the dude the dude in the ad is a little over the top he's, uh, he, he's, he's, he's been to Starbucks he is on his way to Starbucks no no he's on his way back to his folks house to get his allowance for the week <laughs> Before he heads to his job at the Starbucks. <laughs> right. My bad. <laughs> I do want those boots. Uh, the boots are cool. They're brown. Must have. I'm, I'm weak. Are you going to tuck your pants into the boots like he's doing? I'm going to do that all the time. Keeps them from flapping around. Although I have a onesie over them so you can't tell. Oh, okay. So. All right. All right. We got some listener mail. Yes. First off, we got some listener mail from Colleen, frequent contributor. Colleen writes, I love listening to Mr. Rao. He was incredibly fun to listen to, and for once you guys didn't talk over your guest speaker and obliterate anything. Jealous over here. Regarding how Mr. Rao makes his living. F eight hundred GS, you need to ride it, Todd. It may not be the end all be all bike out on the market, but it's fast, good, flickable bike that just might put a smile on your face. What bike won't? Yeah, I mean the best bike in the world is the one under you. I mean besides my Beal on you. 
<laughs> she says, Mr. Cobb carries his little dachshund in his sidecar. Oh. He's a character for sure. I gave him my old and broken crash bars off my 1150. Yes, my fat pig adventure bike. Bite me. For a project he was working on. His garage is chock full of bikes. Simply amazing what he gets up to. Speaking of big fat adventure bikes, I realize that I'm probably one of the exceptions to your tour tech rule, but I would like to let you know that I do take my bike out on some less than perfect roads. See? And she sent us some pictures. We'll put up the link on the site. This page either shows that I have a great sense of adventure or that I can't ride. Either one fits, really. I disagree. Oh? I think uh, what that page shows is that she likes to ride sleepy bikes. I think what this page shows me is there is an awesome phrase I have not used before now, and I'm totally stealing from her. Gravity surge! (laughs) (laughs) Thunk. (laughs) Is that what happened to you in that alley? Gravity surge! Oh my god, no! (laughs) It sounds like something they would say on Star Trek. Yes, it does. It sounds exactly <laughs> like something you'd say on Star Trek. So not only is it geeky, <laughs> it's also a great excuse. You can what shout, happened? Scream. There was a gravity surge! You could scream that out the next time you're going down. <laughs> surge! <laughs> and I thought our tour tech rule was if you ride a motorcycle outfitted with tour tech gear, you must battle an elephant. Yeah. So I guess she doesn't battle an elephant? Oh. Well, that sucks. Lame. No adventure there. No elephants. <laughs> Okay, uh, our next mail comes from Colin. Hi, guys. I just recently discovered your podcast. Great format. Love it. Keep it up. It's a great way to kill time waiting for the snow to melt here in Edmonton, Canada. I ride a Suzuki M50 Cruiser, and he's uh, sent us a link. I've modified it enough for now. Thinking of getting a new bike, but I want to build one instead of simply buying one. I'm not super mechanically inclined, but I think I know enough to be dangerous. Well, our guest last week suggested go out and get a MIG welder. And <laughs> Sorry, proceed. The interwebs seem to say that cafe racers are a cliche now, but I still like the way they look. You and me both. So that's what I'm thinking of building. My question to you is, would you have any recommendations for a bike to start with? Have you ever owned one? Is it cool to build one ironically? Will I ever be able to live up to their hipsterness? Do you have any thoughts on cafe racers? Okay, first, that's a real sharp looking M50. Mm-hmm. I like that. The black pipes was something I wanted to do to mine before mm-hmm. I sold it. Yeah. I mean, it, it really improves the look on that bike and, and just the way he's. It's nicely put together. The, was it, the hypercharger thingy? Mm-hmm. The little butterfly thingy. There's nothing gaudy about it. It all comes together. It it flows. Yeah, I like like that bike. I've always liked that M50. It's Mm -hmm. it's an awesome bike. Oh, and I love that engine. Engine's small. It's funny that he's talking about going from the M50 to a cafe racer-ish bike. A strange move, Chuck. I know. It's unheard of. Mm. (laughs) So I say the key thing you want to start with, start with something butt ugly that runs acceptably and is cheap. Because part of cafe racer is you're going to do horrible, unforgivable things to the bike, potentially. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to get it wrong, and you want to make sure nobody cares. You took the hideous bike, and you made it awfuler! Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry! <laughs> One way you could go, and this is probably be the way I'd go, mm-hmm. given money, time, experience. Sure. I want to ride a bike sometime this decade. Yeah. I'd probably get a kit, like the ones maybe Rika does, mm-hmm. where they, they sell you the or full you kit. you Savage, and you... Yeah, you, you convert the S40 to Savage. Mm-hmm convert to a cafe racer they send you all the parts and the instructions and interesting you work on it on your own yeah and savages can be had cheap i don't know how much the kit costs i think the kits another grand maybe two. that's it yeah wow. i don't think okay. it's that expensive could be worse then yeah i guess the thing the thing i'm thinking of with a cafe bike start with something but ugly and keep in mind that really a cafe bike most of the time is just appearance mods and like different bars i mean that's that's your normal because if you start with a standard I mean, any standard sitting bike. A UJM is a great place to start, and that's one a lot of people start with because they're common as dirt and sure. they run. Yeah. You know, and frankly, they have a pretty decent engine in them, especially as compared to the old British bikes. So, you know, any of those. But you start doing appearance mods to it. You know, it, I would totally give you extra Todd points if you do fairings and cowlings made of wood or scrap metal <laughs> that are painted. But, you know, that that's frankly what a lot of people do to yeah, make those just, little uh, bikini fairings. You just get a UGM and swap the bars out, and you're you're a good part of the way there. Yeah, right? solid start, you know? I mean, the engine isn't going to quite look like an old British engine, but, you know, it's still going to look pretty cool if you clean it up and shine it up. You, by the way, you have to do double headlights. You must. They're awesome. Moral imperative? Do double headlights or you're dead to me. <laughs> That's all. You know, I've thought about doing double headlights on the Thruxton. It would look awesome. Yeah. It would look insanely awesome. I've started looking into it. Yes. I've showed you that tarantula Thruxton, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I want to – that's the direction I want to take my uh-huh. Thruxton into. Yeah. But I'm riding to build that, and this I've only been riding it for about, what, three days now? Mm-hmm. And I'm already finding myself going, huh, you know, I could I could 
put a new set of bleh on the Buell. And, <laughs> no, wait, bad, bad, Jack, bad. <laughs> no. Well, I think that's the advantage, though, of a cafe racer that starts from a junkie bike. He can put little bits on it as he goes, mm-hmm. and he can still ride it, generally speaking. I mean, it'll be ugly, but it was ugly to begin with. It gets <laughs> loose, you know? One interesting thing about the cafe racer is actually what brought it about. It was brought about for the same reasons the barber was. So they had these old British bikes with, frankly, best you could get at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that, you have to imagine my eyebrows going up and down. Best you could get at the time, engines. These are the engines that the CB750 destroyed. That's how awesome, air quotes, they were. Right. <laughs> so you couldn't get the damn bike to go any faster because you already, like, hopped it up as much as you could. And if you try to, like, hop it up anymore, you're going to hole a piston and that's that. So they start taking parts off to try to get the weight down. This is You may have heard it called a bobber, and that's really all a cafe racer is. It's a sport mm-hmm. bobber. How much shit can we get off this bike to get its weight down to try to get it going just a little bit faster? You know, a fly screen made of a garbage can, for instance, and paint it up is cheap and light, or you go with no fly screen at all. Mm-hmm. You know, the second seat, what the hell is that good for? Get it out of there. It's weight. Mm-hmm. Those pegs, fuck them. Pegs are gone. Cafe racer bobber movement. It's a lot like uh, the chopper movement. They, it started out going toward a, a general direction mm-hmm. and, and – it's just guys wanting to monkey on their bikes. Yep, and it developed into a style of its own. Right, yeah. And, you know, in the chopper case, it went completely nuts. <laughs> it, it became what it is on TV. I think uh, the cafe racer and the barber could go the same way. Mm-hmm. It's getting kind of fatty, like, you know, cliche. Yeah, absolutely. And it's okay if everyone says it's cliche because that's just part of being a hipster. That just means there's lots of them. Because they're cool. <laughs> Keep in mind, by the way, that no matter how cool your cafe racer is, you're never, ever going to get your money back out of the thing. No, I mean, that's not the point, though, is it? Oh, well, it's hopefully not the point. All sorts of ads are out there for really sad people. I made a cafe racer out of this bike, and don't you want to buy it for triple what it's worth? Really? Yeah. That's horrible. They're out there. Yeah, they'll be, it'll be like an old like rat bag CB750, and they're like, totally cafe it out. Looks sweet. $3,000. Fuck you. $3,000. Ass hat. No, it's not worth any more for putting all the cafe parts on it. It might be worth less depending on how good a job you do. But I spray painted it black. But garbage cans are round and you can cut parts off of them very easily with a... Never mind. What have you done? With a garbage can? Yeah. Nothing on any of these bikes. What have you done? Oh, I needed I needed a thing that would push some wind uh, underneath and place in purple rain, so I, I cut a garbage can. Really? Yeah, it worked. Like uh, like uh, lower fairings or something? Or Yeah, it didn't actually look very good, so I got rid of them. But <laughs> It was also a good way to mock up the lowers on the Volusia. Was with the piece you keep bringing can. up garbage cans, so it's not hypothetical. They're round! It's wonderful! It's Some, perfect! Something can. happened. Okay, you want a cheap fly screen? Garbage can. Seriously. Thick, Just... rubber-made garbage can. Nice round one. A rubber one. Yeah. Okay. Colin, if you do this, send us pictures. <laughs> garbage can bike. Oh, rear cowling behind the seat. Tide oh. bottle. What? Tide bottle. You didn't actually do that. No, I didn't, but it would totally work. <laughs> you do a diagonal cut of a, of a detergent bottle, it would be a great rear cowling, and no one would ever know if you painted it. Oh, gee, you know, Colin, you just don't want to be listening to this. <laughs> we, we've gone past the Colin's point wife of... is coming for me in the dark. <laughs> you split. No, no, she's probably all for this, because the first time he gets laughed off the bike, <laughs> he's going to be like, oh, this is a totally bad idea. i got to sell this thing. Do you want to see my pride and joy? Yes. The left and right cowlings. <laughs> That's wrong. And that's all we got time for this week. (laughs) What do you learn, Todd? Gravity surge! That's all. What have you learned, Chuck? I learned that my Buell is probably a living, thinking being that hates me. And that's all for this week. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Chuck. Ride safe, everyone. We'll see you next week. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheel Nerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent.